200 easterlies and the outlook cloudier tomorrow. A few rain patches expected early next week. UV index for today, a 7, which makes its intensity apparently high. Uh, a yellow fire danger warning is in force, which means the fire risk is higher. Uh, latest air temperature reading 19 degrees Celsius and climbing relative humidity at 81%. News Wrap, a full roundup of the day's stories from home and overseas. Every evening we speak directly to the people behind the news and making the news. Plus the day's finance and what's happened in the world of sport. News Wrap, 6pm weeknights on RTHK Radio 3. Hello again, I'm Jim Gould, Head of Radio 3. We'd like to hear from you about what you think of our online services. What's good in your view? What's not so good? What do you want more of or less of? We'd like to hear your comments about our Radio 3 website and Facebook pages. Do you ever visit our archive? Would you like more podcasts? How can we improve our service? Send us your thoughts. You can email us on feedback at rthk.hk. That's feedback at rthk.hk. Or send us a message on Facebook at rthk. Radio 3 Hong Kong. Remember, we want to hear from you. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. And now, of course, on Radio 3, read all about it. Welcome to Read All About It, the book show. I'm Yuri Vitacci. And I'm Marshall Moore. And we'll be talking first about two reasonably contemporary novels. The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee and The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon. And then we'll be talking about a classic. And our classic for this week is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Now, it's my turn to start, I think, this week. So I'm going to talk about... The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon, which has been a massive hit over the last uh, few years, uh, both with younger readers and with adults. So it's a bit of a, a crossover hit. But first, let me say something about the story. So it starts off with uh, a young man, Christopher Boone, comes out of his house. It's nighttime. And he sees a strange shape on the lawn. He moves towards the shape and he finds it's Wellington, the dog next door, lying on the ground with a garden fork um, impaling him. Someone has murdered the dog next door. Now, you're reading this, and you think well, the, uh, the, the character, the narrator, has a rather strange voice, and you realise he is an autistic child. So the book is actually being uh, related by an autistic child. And then... Um, the neighbour comes out and screams, you've killed my dog. And at that stage, the reader actually gets a bit um, uh, a bit put off because it sounds rather predictable. OK, autistic child uh, is uh, mistakenly accused of killing a dog. In fact, uh, we know he's innocent. What he's doing is hugging the dog, uh, having found it dead. And uh, then we're rescued for that because the police come and the police fairly quickly... Uh, realised that the autistic boy didn't kill the dog, he just found the dog dead. So uh, 
uh, at that point, the reader feels a bit of relief. Okay, it's not going to be as predictable as it might have been. So, uh, so thank goodness for that. So the story progresses uh, uh, a little bit with the boy then deciding, okay, I'm going to find out who killed the dog. Uh, his favourite book is Sherlock Holmes, so he decides he's going to be uh, like Sherlock Holmes. He's going to find out who killed the dog, and then again the reader. And we're very ironic people these days. We don't like to be manipulated. So again, the reader thinks, "Okay, this is going to be a predictable story." Autistic boy tracks down dog killer, uh, whereas the adults fail to do it. But again, it doesn't happen, and and you and you start to think, "Okay, this book is more interesting than it seems." Then you notice the chapter headings, the chapter numbers, chapter two, chapter, and then we go chapter eleven, chapter seventeen. What's going on? Where are the missing chapters? And um, if you're very smart or you've read read up about the book, you realise that the chapter numbers are all prime numbers. They're not normal numbers in order. They're prime numbers. So you think, okay, something very interesting is happening in this book. The story is unpredictable. And the chapters are numbered strangely. What does all this mean? And by that stage, it's a really intriguing puzzle, and you're into this book. So here we have Christopher. He's age fifteen. He's deeply autistic, so he has very strange um, way of speaking, way of uh, of uh, forming uh, logical behaviour patterns. And he's living uh, with his father. Uh, his mother is dead, and he starts to write his 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 story which is for a school assignment, uh, Who Killed Wellington the Dog? He calls the essay The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which is a Sherlock Holmes uh, quote, and off he, off he goes trying to do this detective work. His father finds the half-written essay and is furious, saying, you can't go around investigating the neighbours as if they were dog killers. Um, it's just terrible. And he uh, he takes the boy's uh, homework away. So um, the boy is deeply upset and when the father goes to work the boy goes to uh, find the missing essay. While searching through his father's papers he finds a series of letters written by his mother. His mother to him, to the boy. The letters were written a year and a half after she was dead. So he thinks, uh oh what does this mean? A ghost is writing to me? She's writing to me from heaven? Or maybe she's not dead. And so this story is full of extraordinary twists and turns. A brilliant piece of uh, plotting. And um, I think because it starts off so predictable but takes these original turns, it becomes a delight to read. That is really making me want to read it. I was glad to hear that you were going to be talking about that book today because that's pretty high on my list of things I want to read and haven't gotten around to yet. And I didn't actually know that much about it. So, yeah, you're making me want to go pick up a copy. It's a very, it's a very unusual story, certainly. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why it's unusual is that um, Mark Haddon, before this, was quite well known as a writer of... Uh, sort of the silly, silly sort of children's books. Uh, I believe his biggest hit was called something like um, A Secret Agent Penguin Called Penguin Z or something like that, you know, sort of very much uh, the sort of... Um, uh, that sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yes, it's very, very, very simple children's books. So um, when he came out with this, um, uh, it was it was originally uh, 
positioned as Mark Haddon writes a book for adults. Uh, and then when it starts off, uh, the main character is a child and an autistic child. You think, OK, it's going to be a predictable bit of, of young adult fiction. But in fact, the, the gruesome opening scene of the, the dead dog uh, makes you realize maybe it's a bit a bit different. And then and then, like I say, you have to stick with it because it seems to be following predictable lines. And then suddenly it veers off and stops being predictable. Uh, the secret of the prime numbers I can reveal because it is revealed quite early on in the book is that like many autistic children, um, he has he has problems with with empathy, with uh, with, with um, he has a sort of type of Asperger's. Uh, but there's one thing he's good at, which is numbers. And so that's a, a key thread through the book. He knows prime numbers. He can calculate them. And so that uh, there's a thread of the sort of autistic savant. You know, he's um, he can do maths, but he can't do small talk. It makes him sound a little bit like Sherlock Holmes. And it's interesting that there seems to be some kind of Holmes-Conan Doyle connection going on. Is that something else you see throughout yeah. the book? Uh, yes. Um, I wonder if that's uh, a standard trope, though, in uh, detective fiction or in investigative fiction. You know, the, the main character has to be brilliant in some ways, but uh, if a character's just brilliant, you know, he's, he's rather uh, shallow. Um, so, uh, so he has to have a lot of faults as well. But having said that, last week we talked about the grey man who's just like a superhero James Bond character. So there, are, there, are, there is room for your superhero character uh, as well, I guess. Anyway, the uh, the main thing about the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime by Mark Hatton is that uh, it's been an unusual hit with youngsters. It's on every school curriculum, but also with adults. So it's uh, it's one of the big crossover books of of modern times. Um, Harry Potter, of course, is another one. Fault in Our Stars, we talked about in the previous series. Uh, Divergent, Hunger Games, Twilight. These are all books which were sort of child-friendly, but at the same time uh, had this uh, adult appeal. I think that's particularly interesting for us from an uh, Asian point of view, because uh, certainly with the university students I teach, I find a lot of them carrying Harry Potter and Twilight. I think it's that whole sector in publishing, I think, is the hottest one right now, because young adult and new adult is, a, I guess, a subset of that the books targeted at like late teens up into adulthood that seems to be like where all the sales are right now and you know when you look at what literary agents are looking for and what publishing houses are acquiring that's where it is and so everybody's trying to write to that particular sweet spot yeah and uh, it's a sweet spot in in the west i think uh just because it's a good demographic but in asia it's interesting because the adults read it too um, you know, uh, the you see people of, of thirty, forty, fifty in Asia with their with their Pokemon doll collection and their uh, and their their collection of Harry Potter books. I don't think that's so unusual, yeah. though. I mean, yeah. in the West, people are reading them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, speaking for myself, I've read the Hunger Games books. I thought they were fantastic. I've read Harry Potter. I thought they were fantastic. So yeah, I'm forty six and I love them. <laughs> right. And we've been talking about the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime uh, crossover book suitable for adults and for children by Mark Haddon.
So, I'll be talking about The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee. And I'll preface this by saying this is such a fantastic book. Um, yet another on that list of things that I was meaning to read for a long time and finally did. Uh, the cool thing about it, uh, for local interest, actually, the author was born and raised here in Hong Kong. Uh, her family background is Korean, but she lived here in Hong Kong for much of her life and then uh, went to Harvard, I believe, and worked in the magazine industry after she graduated and was living in the States for some time. Uh, and I believe she relocated back to Hong Kong at some point, at least for a period of time. And her writing in this book and in her previous book, The Piano Teacher, focuses on Hong Kong expatriate life. There aren't that many novels about that. So this is really interesting if you live here, as we do, and are expatriates, as we are. Um, the story concerns these three women. Uh, one of them's named Mercy, and she's quite young, Korean-American, recent college grad. And she's kind of washed ashore in Hong Kong because she went to Columbia. This is really prestigious, but she doesn't really know what she wants to do with herself after this. And then the other two women are older, married. Uh, Margaret has three kids already. And Hillary has come to Hong Kong with her husband, and both of them are dealing with different marital issues. Um, about a year before the events in the book, and I don't think this is a spoiler because it's been discussed in some of the reviews, but one of Margaret's children goes missing on a trip to Seoul. And she stays in Seoul, they're looking for him, and as you'd expect, the experience has completely shattered her as a person. I mean, and I'm not a parent, but I can imagine for anyone who is, losing a kid without having closure on it, which I think is even worse. The kid just goes missing and nobody has any idea what happened. Um, and then Hillary is having trouble in a different way because she's she and her husband are wanting to get pregnant and they're having fertility problems and all of these women are living here in Hong Kong going through this. Uh, Margaret and Hillary are trailing spouses. They had careers that they put on hold to follow their husbands here. And so the book is really interesting because all three of their lives connect. At one point, Mercy is working for Margaret as a nanny, and she's actually on the trip to Korea where the child goes missing. And then their lives intersect with Hillary as well. And the book, it's complicated, and it's there's so much more than just the way the cover synopsis presents it, because it, it makes it sound as if it's kind of sex in the city. I believe that's actually mentioned in the cover synopsis, which is, it makes it sound shallow, and it sounds like ladies who have white wine at lunch and talk about what type of high heels they're wearing and where they bought them, or, you know, complain about their maids because it's Hong Kong and that's what you do. But so there's this kind of satirical thing going on. And Janice Lee has a really sharp eye for that kind of thing. But the emotional weight and complexity of everything that's happening in this story goes so much farther than that. 
That's wonderful. I haven't read it, but uh, again, you've made me want to read it. Um, yeah, I love the piano teach, teacher, piano tutor, was it? Teacher. Teacher. Uh, her writing is, is fabulous. Uh, and I understand that Nicole Kidman has just bought the rights to The Expatriate. Oh, uh, that. turned into a movie. Really? I hadn't heard that yet. That's that's a good call. I think she'll be good for that. That's wonderful. Uh, so, so, so tell us more about it. Is, is it about the tension between the three women? Well, there are just layers and layers and layers of things going on because Mercy is just struggling with identity and belonging because she's a Korean-American in Hong Kong, an expatriate, Asian, but not Chinese. And so all of that's complicated. And then Margaret is just trying to function after losing her son, as she has, and then Hillary and her husband, they're looking into adoption. And it's the tensions between the three women. It's dealing with parenthood. It's dealing with expatriation. Um, one thing that comes up a lot is the isolation that goes along with being an expatriate. Because especially for Margaret and Hillary, they put their lives on hold. They came to Hong Kong, and then it's, they have this experience that I think a lot of expatriates here do, where Hong Kong isn't your real life, quote-unquote. It's like this way station you pass through for a period of time. You don't really belong here. You're constantly reminded that you don't belong here, especially if you're not Chinese. And so you have to make some kind of life in you know either in expatriate circles or maybe you're able to find local friends or whatever – and these women end up in this expatriate kind of clique where they're well off and they have help and they have to find ways to pass the time during the day. And they find very different ways of passing the time. And so it's satirical. It's wrenching. It's occasionally really funny. Um, so it, it's hard to sum everything up. There's just so much going on. But she pulls it all together absolutely seamlessly. The word ex- expatriate can mean all sorts of different things, can't it? Like a migrant worker. I mean, how, do, how is the word used in this book? Well, I, in this case, I think just by – the, again, I, I never like giving a simple answer to a question if I can make it convoluted. Um, I mean, ex- they're expatriates just by virtue of the fact that they don't live in their home countries. Uh, but then more specifically, especially for Hillary and Margaret, they fit the – local stereotypical image of what expatriates are. They're here because their husbands have high-paying jobs and they're here on well-financed expatriate packages where they're able to live down on the south side or up on, I forget where the other ones live. Uh, But they're able to afford really nice homes and international schools for the kids and full-time live-in help. And, you know, that's an image that really persists here. Well, that's a rave review so far. Are there any weak points about it at all? Actually, yeah. I would say there's one thing that kept I kept noticing it while I was reading. I felt like in the characterization, Mercy and Margaret were really well-drawn and vivid. And Hillary, I felt she had a stronger place in the beginning of the book. And in the middle, it seemed... It's not that she wasn't there, but it seemed that she mattered the most at the beginning and at the end. And in the middle, she kind of got lost amid the story of the other two. I mean, even having read the book fairly recently, I I couldn't tell you what she was meant to look like or that much about her. So there's something a little bit missing there. 
Apart from that, it's the only criticism of a book that I was just in awe of, though. So that's not exactly much of a criticism. It sounds wonderful. We're talking about The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee, and it sounds like a, a book we should all be reading here in Hong Kong. I think so, especially in light of the fact that there just aren't that many books out there about Hong Kong. I think that the mainland gets of a, lot, a lot of attention, a lot of works being published in translation, and Hong Kong was always this afterthought, I think, in Western publishing and you know, the main English language media because people kind of forget that we're here. So why why do people forget that we're here? Hong Kong is small despite being huge in terms of its financial importance and everything. But in terms of its heyday in the media, especially the way that it did or didn't get noticed in the West, you know, there was the Hong Kong movies back in the 60s and 70s. But Hong Kong's kind of faded from cultural view since then. It doesn't really come up much. Well, it sounds like this couldn't it couldn't really be the great Hong Kong novel, but it could be the great Hong Kong expatriate novel, couldn't it? I would say that it is. I mean, I still there's a definitely a literary scene here, but I think that she's brought it to visibility in a way that a lot of other writers haven't quite done. So, wrapping this up, we've been talking about the Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee. And it's time for this week's classic, and we've chosen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. This is one of those books, I was so happy that we're able to revisit it, because it looms large over my childhood. It was one of my favorite books, the whole series, when I was growing up, loved them, I reread them, I think I reread the whole series, probably once a decade through my life, so I think I'm up to like about five times, four times, however old I am. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm also a huge C.S. Lewis fan. Uh, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, for, for those who haven't read it, is a, it's a wonderful story about a little girl who enters a wardrobe as a uh, as a escape place when she's uh, playing hide-and-seek with her much older brothers and sisters. And she goes through the back of the wardrobe into a magical land called Narnia, a land where it's always winter but never Christmas. And uh, eventually her brothers and sisters follow her into this magical land and they, they solve the problem and eventually Christmas comes. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those stories that, um, that sums up childhood, isn't it? It is, and it's such a, a, an amazing story because, for one thing, Lewis is a good writer. And just from a technical standpoint, we're reading him as an adult. They're really readable books, and they work on that level – then they would work for somebody who's looking for an experience kind of like the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime or the other books you mentioned where they were written for kids but they work for adults. And they're such iconic stories. Um, you know, they go into the wardrobe and then her brother Edmund follows her in and sneaks off and meets up with the evil queen that's been causing this terrible winter all this time in Narnia, and he betrays them. And there's betrayals and dark stuff, and it's the, all the kind of things that adult readers like as well, but it's all there and just remarkably well done. I think also there's a lot of very uh, deep psychological elements in it. I mean, C.S. Lewis was uh, was at... Uh, he, he was an Oxford uh, scholar, and... Uh, and, you know, just down the corridor was J.R.R. Tolkien. 
Uh, and uh, so the two of them would have these talks about um, the, the root, the psychological roots of literature. And they both wrote these amazing fantasy novels that have become, uh, you know, iconic uh, stories of the of the fantasy world, but I think with with these deep psychological meanings, uh, uh, betrayal and uh, and the power of of love over death. I mean, that's one of the great themes of literature, and it's it's really in praise of irrationality in a way, because like, how can love uh, survive death? But in all their books, you know, you see these these ancient literary themes coming up again and again. Well, I think another thing that you see in the books is. A trend of things like decency and acts of goodness being rewarded and not punished, uh, self-sacrifice being rewarded and not punished, people sticking together, you know, working for the common good, and it pays off. And so there's not really any cynicism in the books. Mm -hmm. And given what the times are like now and what literature is like, it's a nice breath of fresh air away from dystopia. It really is. It really is. Although even in the dystopian books, we find that, uh, you know, the selfless act by uh, by the star of Divergent or uh, or whatever will actually cause um, cause right to happen in the end. You know, the good guys still win, although it's a bit more subtle these days, I guess. I think it's really about the um, the arc of justice. You know, we, we feel that the, the arc of life somehow bends towards social justice. And, you know, we put on our scientific hats and say, no, no, everything's random and meaningless. But um, there's something deep in the human psyche that needs justice to, to actually happen. And I think that's a good way of looking at it, too, because if you're feeling really cynical about the way the world is going at the moment and just want to read something to allow you to step out from that, and restore your faith in humanity a bit. This is definitely a book to read. Or if you know the kids are depressed because they, you watch the news too much, and it's pretty evident the world's going to be ending in fifteen minutes. You know, <laughs> let them spend their last fifteen minutes reading this. Right. In fact, there's a famous C.S. Lewis uh, quote where he he's um, he's asked uh, about what about these atomic atomic bombs that people are making now, and he says, you know, when they drop the atomic bomb. I hope we'll be not huddled in a corner being scared of atomic bombs. We'll be doing ordinary things. We'll be playing and singing and doing the washing up. And I thought that was a, that was a beautiful quote. Uh, I, you know, he was quite a sort of troubled man, I think. Um, if you read his other books, the, the books for adults, um, you know, he's almost, he's quite sort of depressive, I think. You know, and despite being a, in the, having this sort of good Christian book series, you know, he smoked and he drank and he was in debt. He was actually quite a hard living man, I believe. And that's an interesting thing with the book, too. And I thought that one of the things I appreciate the most about this, not only The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which we're focusing on right now, but the entire series is. And I think I, I felt this way as a kid. I feel the same way as an adult reading them, I think that they work really well if you are looking for and appreciate the Christian allegory, and they work really well as stories even if you don't. So whichever way you come to it, you know, whichever way your religious beliefs take you, the stories work really well because of and in spite of at the same time. Right. Yeah, C.S. Lewis was a was a, a died in the wool atheist, and then and then J.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings, came along and and pushed him uh, into into faith. Really pushed him into Catholicism, and then was utterly horrified when uh, Lewis became a, a Protestant instead of a Catholic. Or it may have been the other way around. I can't remember the details now. 
but it was a it was a funny story um but as you say that there are these deep allegories that you don't have to subscribe to and i think the allegories really are deeper than christianity uh the the main one in this book is uh, aslan is killed uh on a stone table and that image is way older than christianity it goes way back to to early Judaism and even before that, a primeval religion. Right. It's it's definitely an image. It makes me think of, of, of Picts or Copts or whatever painted blue and dancing around in the moonlight. There you go. That idea of sacrifice is is, uh, is ancient. And uh, and then in the, the, the sort of twist in the story is that there's an even more ancient law which says that if an innocent dies uh, for a guilty person, then that death is reversed. So he's talking really about the most ancient magic of all, which is that, that arc of life bending towards social justice that we mentioned. One other thing that comes to mind is changing the subject slightly, but I didn't want to let this slip by, is the films. Because have you seen those yet? I, I have, yes. And uh, I actually rather like them, reluctantly. Didn't want to, but I, I did like them. Did I you? know what you mean. I was a little bit worried, too. I think that among the adaptations I've seen of children's literature, these really are among the best. Well worth seeing. Um, I think there were three of them. So, uh, so The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, followed by Prince Caspian, and then The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which was a great favorite of mine. So, today we've been talking specifically about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the two books we talked about earlier were The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon and The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee. And that's all the time we have today. See you next time. That was the sixth episode in this series of Read All About It. It was presented by Nuri Vitachi and Marshall Moore and, of course, produced by Phil Whelan. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Time to look at the latest on the weather. News coming up at 9 o'clock, of course. Um, fine and dry to start with. It'll becoming cloudy later this afternoon. A maximum temperature of 24 degrees with a light winds. Becoming moderate easterlies. Now, apparently more rain tomorrow. A few more rain patches, according to the weatherman or weather lady. Uh, cloudier tomorrow, so overall. Currently 19 degrees Celsius, relative humidity 78%. Don't forget that yellow fire danger warning in force.